Today, I'm going to teach a lesson about hospitality, and we're going to touch a little bit in uh, Romans 12 and Matthew 26. Um, when you think about hospitality, what comes to mind? What, what do you think when you hear that word? So for me, I think of, you know, a nice dinner party. You have people over to your house. Everything's picture perfect. You have great food, great conversation. Everyone leaves and they're like, oh, wow, that was the, the best dinner I've had. The, the fewers are so great, you know. I think of that, and I also think of the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, where you go to these places and people just serve you, make you feel welcome, and it's just a great experience. And I, until a few years ago, I never really thought about hospitality in the context of my faith. And... We're going to look at Acts 2, chapter, or Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. I know you guys are really familiar with this scripture, but it's a, the picture that we have of what the early church looked like and how hospitable they were to each other, and I'll read it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is like the picture-perfect example of what, like, for example, this class, the community you have, this is what we are striving to achieve, right? You know... You fellowship together, you come to church together, you hear Marty's sermon, you love on each other, you pray for each other, and that's what it's supposed to look like, right? So what do you guys think that the perception of most Christians are to people that are non-believers, that don't come to church? Do you think that they have this vision of what Christians are like? That's a tough it's a tough thing to think about because while Crossings is such a great church and we have such great people here, you can go read many stories online, in papers, wherever, about all the bad experiences people had about church, why church is bad, why Christians are bad, how hypocritical they are, and how they've been hurt by so-and-so. There are far more examples out there, it seems like, of the bad rather than the good. And think about the time when, when this took place. You're talking about first century Rome, and you have this group of people that are loving each other, they're bringing each other in, they're helping the poor among their group, they're selling things to provide for those that have less. And it says that they had favor with all the people, not just amongst themselves. Now, in first century Rome, they didn't have near the, the social safety net that we have today in 21st century America. If you, got, if you were a, a laborer and you got injured, your family is just going to go without. There was no, no plan in place to help your family to put food on the table, do anything like that. It was just, you know, sorry about your luck. It was just a really harsh, rough life. And while the Holy Spirit was moving amongst these people, and there was revival going on, I have to think that 
the just the social aspect of this had to be appealing to the people. You know, it said their numbers grew day by day. People on the outside looking in, they noticed these Christians, they're different. They're living differently than I am, and I want to be a part of that. I don't want to minimize anything the Holy Spirit was doing, but I think that there, that human component had to be there. And I remember a couple years ago, are you guys familiar with Craig Groeschel at Life Church? Uh, he did a sermon where he took this text and he translated it into what he called the new current version. And I'm going to read it to you guys. It's a little bit snarky. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. And, you know, but if we're honest, there is a little bit of truth to it. And so here's what Craig had to say. He said, The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders being performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together, and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another or to give praise to God. They claimed to love God but didn't really love each other, and they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. Ouch! You know, that, that stings. You know, I, I don't think that's true for everyone all the time, but I almost guarantee you at least one of these things is true about every one of us every, every now and again, if not more. Myself, this stings on a daily basis. If I read this, it's very convicting. And this is only describing how we act together as a Christian community. It's not even talking about how we interact with those that have opposing worldviews, or people that are different from us. I mean, this is really difficult to swallow. And I think about technology over the course of, let's just say, 100 years. How has technology changed the way we interact with one another? If you go back, I mean, the, the easy target is the Internet and smartphones. So I'm just going to leave that alone for right now. But just go back to the air conditioner. I remember going to my grandma's house. She lived up in Tonkawa. My grandparents did. It's far northern Oklahoma. I would spend the summers up there. And what we would do is we would sit out on the front porch in the mornings and in the evenings. She would make tea. And we would see all the people walking down the sidewalks, the neighbors. We would interact with everyone. And she had air conditioning, but she wouldn't use it. I mean, unless it's like 95 outside, the air conditioner's not coming on. We can just open windows and we can sit outside. And I just remember, like, their whole neighborhood was like, you know, it's a, it's a front yard culture. And I think now, in go in any subdivision now, you rarely see people out in the front yard just sitting. Kids may be outside, people may be doing yard work or working on projects, but it's not a place that people congregate to meet with their neighbors, kind of get to know each other that relationship component, it changed when the air conditioner became more prevalent. It was more comfortable to be inside. Why would I want to be outside on a hot, humid day? I'll just sit out there. And then, you know, people started building what in the backyard? Privacy fences. So we became, instead of front yard people, we would spend more time in the backyard. And we didn't want to even see our neighbors, so I'm just going to put up a wall all the way around. So we just kind of just silo ourselves in. And my grandparents, they had a detached garage. So when we would go run errands, 
we'd pull in the garage, and we would have to walk. Like it seemed like it was probably not that far, but I was seven years old, so it seemed like we would walk like a football field length. It was probably like 200 feet. But doing that, you would still you would engage people walking on the sidewalk, neighbors outside, and so. As time goes on, you have attached garages being more common. You get home, you get out, you open the garage door, pull in, close it. Well, then you have automatic garage doors. So now, this is like my, my greatest thing because I'm an extreme introvert, and I can get home, and I can see if my neighbor's outside and I don't want to talk to my neighbor, I just push the button, drive in the garage, push the button, get out and go inside. I don't even have to make eye contact. But... It sounds silly, but think about how, how much our interpersonal relationships with those around us has changed just through like simple things, none of which are inherently bad, but it just changes how we, we interact with one another. And, you know, like I said, the obvious target here is the Internet and smartphones. Um, I'm guilty, too. I don't know if you noticed my son up here uh, earlier. They started out drawing and just being normal kids. And then probably about five minutes in, he just needed his fix. He needed to get his Nintendo Switch out and look at a screen. Screens are addictive, and they really help dehumanize us. And so those are just some things I kind of wanted to think about and point out how, you know, this is really harsh. But I think the way we have utilized technology has played a part in that. And let's see what Paul has to say about this in Romans, Romans 12. Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Um... Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For, for by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So if you look at it, verses 10 through, 10 through 12, Paul starts out, he's just reiterating Acts, Acts 2. Um, this is nothing new. He's just saying, love one another with brotherly affection. Show each other honor. Uh, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Constant in prayer. And in 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, so take care of one another. But he adds something here at the end of verse 13 that's really important. He says, and seek to show hospitality. So hospitality here, the Greek word he uses is philoxenia. And what that means, it's simply affection for the stranger. So Paul is taking the text, describing what the Christian community is like, and he's adding that we need to seek to show affection for the stranger as well. And notice, he uses an action verb here. He says, seek to show hospitality. He doesn't say when it's convenient or, you know, if it just so happens that someone shows up and at your door, be nice to them or whatnot. He's calling us to be active. Our faith is to be an active faith. So what that means is, as we go about our lives, as we go in our neighborhood, instead of fighting the urge to pull into the garage and shut the door before your neighbor can see you, maybe we should engage those people. Maybe we should start to build those relationships. Maybe we should get to know those people 
and figure out their story, what their worldview is, and that will open the door to sharing the gospel. Um, So where does Paul get this from? Paul pulls this from Matthew 26 and, or Matthew 25, sorry. And this is where Jesus is talking about the, the end times, the final judgment. And you can see how serious Jesus takes this subject. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he says to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. I, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So Jesus is basically saying, when you boil it down, the idea of loving one another, loving strangers, it comes down to a matter of spiritual life and death in the end. It's not an optional thing. So I think back to Craig's message and how much that stings, and that just shows me how much work I have to do in my life and where I need to repent and where I need to see change. I love this quote by Henri Nguyen. Uh, He's a theologian, and this is from one of his books. He said, Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. The heart behind it is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. So I I love this quote. It's from uh, Mother Teresa. Uh, There was a journalist visited her in India. And, you know, Mother Teresa, she mainly worked with people that were sick and dying. Most of her, her patients never recovered. And he asked her, he said, Mother, why are you doing this? All these people, you're spending all this time with all these people, and they're going to die anyway. And her response was, I'm called to be faithful, not to be successful. And I love that quote because that's what our calling is when we are to engage the world and share the gospel. We are not the agents of change. The Holy Spirit is. All we are called to do is be faithful, build relationships, and create space where the Holy Spirit has room to work. Um, And just think about today's socio-political climate. I mean, it's cancel culture out there. It's really hard to engage someone with a different worldview than you if you don't have a relationship with them. If you just take someone off the street that's an atheist and you go up to them and you just want to have a conversation, the odds are probably pretty slim that that conversation is going to be very fruitful. It's probably going to be really short um, if there's even one to begin with. Um, you know, politics play into this. Um, you know, sexuality is big in today's culture. And how refreshing and surprising do you think it would be if the Christian community as a whole took on this mindset and was willing to personally engage 
not just those that we're, we're comfortable with, but get outside of our comfort zone and really engage people that think differently than us and just genuinely want to hear their story and just love on them and give the Holy Spirit room to, to do that change. Have you guys ever heard of Rosaria Butterfield? She is an amazing writer. Uh, she's written several books. And I'm going to read a quote here and kind of tell you her story. So she was a professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. Uh, she was a lesbian. And she, her self-description is she was on the track to becoming a tenured radical. She cared about morality, justice, and compassion. She was fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Hegel, Marx, and Darwin. She strove to stand with the disempowered. She valued morality. And I probably could have stomached Jesus and his band of warriors if it weren't for how other cultural force, forces buttressed the Christian right. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into the conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark, to end it rather than deepen it. I've had several conversations with, with people that are not Christians, uh, that are gay, that this is their predominant view. I'm painting with a very broad brush here. This is the, a predominant view in the gay and lesbian community of how, how Christians are. They perceive us as people that are, are so happy to tell them that they're wrong and they're going to hell. And the grace and mercy component of our faith is completely eliminated. So what Rosario Butterfield did is she wrote an article. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember what paper it was, but it was in 1997. It was basically a hit piece she wrote on Christianity and the Promise Keepers. And so you think 1997, email is just kind of becoming a thing. Most people still write letters. So she got a ton of mail uh, after this article was written. She got a lot of fan mail, but mostly it was hate mail. So what she did at her desk is she had a, a Xerox box, you know, box that Xerox paper would come in. One side for hate mail, one side for fan mail. So she would get these letters. She read them all. And she would file them as they came in. And she got one letter. It was from a pastor from a Presbyterian church. And she was kind of taken aback from it. The first thing she noticed was it was really well written because she's an English professor. And also she noticed that while he stated that he did not necessarily agree with her viewpoints, he didn't judge her. He didn't condemn. He actually asked her questions. He said, I would like to know why you think that. How did you come to that conclusion? And he just asked her all these really pragmatic questions that she appreciated. And he followed it up at the end. He said, you know, and I would just love to meet you and for you to have dinner with me and my wife sometime so we can discuss this. And she didn't know what to do with this, so she kind of left it on her desk. And it haunted her for like two weeks. Like she would throw it in the trash, then she'd pick it back up. So finally, she decided that she was going to accept his offer under the guise of, well, this will be good for my research. This will be good. I can get on the inside. I'm going to go have dinner with a pastor. This will just be fuel for, for my fire. So what she did is she had dinner with, with um, this man and his wife. And his name's Ken. And his wife is, I can't remember his wife's name. I'm sorry. My brain has left me. But she had dinner with them. And the first thing she noticed is that before they ate, he prayed. And she had read parts of the Bible. She knew some, and she'd been around people that prayed before. 
But this was different. He was very vulnerable. He confessed sins in front of her. And he was just really genuine. And then they had a great meal, had a great conversation. He was able to ask her about her background and things she was passionate about. She was very active in the lesbian community. And she got to ask him questions about Christianity. And, you know, they didn't tell her she was wrong. They didn't tell her that she needed to change at that point. All they did was present the gospel to them, to her, just through the way they lived their lives. And they established this relationship, and it took a long time. They would meet regularly. And something began to change in Rosaria. She started reading the Bible more. And she actually read it. It sounds crazy because most of us probably don't read the Bible more than once in a whole year. She read it three times in like six months. Um, but she started reading the Bible, and she started feeling that maybe something needed to change. And long story short, she went to church with them, and she gave her life to Christ. Uh, she was no longer a lesbian. She ended up getting married to a pastor, has a great family, and she has a great ministry out of their home just within their neighborhood. It's a great story, and I think it's a, a perfect example of how we can engage people that don't necessarily meet our same world group or worldview and we can pull them in to the church just by loving on them and treating them like normal human beings because the the easy thing to do our culture is so fast-paced and this is just a byproduct of living in 21st century America that it's we're so quick to treat people like they're disposable Think about, like, you go to the gas station, you go to the cashier, you're in a hurry. You, it's a business transaction. It's not a relationship. Or you go through the drive through The person uh, taking your order or giving you your food, I mean, those people are starting to, it's so dehumanized, it's starting to, they're starting to be replaced by machines. And so it's just something we need to be aware of. It's something that I'm really convicted about, that we need to really work on just being genuine with people and loving people and being willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, whether it be someone of a different race, uh, someone of a different religion, um, because it may seem like an insurmountable mountain. You think this person, they, they will never, never, never listen to me. No matter what I say, they're never going to come to church or they'll never change. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Uh, let's not diminish that. And just as long as we give him the space, help create that where he can do his work. Um, so what? So the oh. Bible says, um, be careful how you entertain strangers, mm -hmm. because you may be entertaining angels unaware of. That's right. And the truth of the matter is, the scripture also says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and love thy neighbor as mm -hmm. thyself. Those are the great commandments mm -hmm. of God. And if we would remember that, Jesus' whole plan was that we become one. The body of Christ, that we become one. And so then I, I think about that often because you're not going to hurt yourself. And so if you treat everybody like you would want to be treated, then you're doing what the Bible asks us to do. That's good. Good word. 
So touching on that, so what do we do with this? How do we, how would we create a space for someone to feel seen, heard, and loved? And how can we cultivate an atmosphere in our hearts for this to happen? Be genuine mm -hmm. and be honest and upfront. I mean, just be, you know, considering them. You mm -hmm. know, some people are not the same as others. Some people are shy. Some people, you know, different things. But sometimes if you see something, you make it go to somebody and make them feel welcome. Mm -hmm. um, you know, invite them to do, you know, whatever. But my thing is, I think just being compassionate, period. Mm -hmm. Having the heart of Jesus is just just feeling <clears throat> care for others, mm -hmm. and and the world we living in now is a very cold world. I mean, people uh, would rather cut cut you off, jump in front of you, or whatever. And so, when you see somebody being mean or evil or whatever, you should not retaliate and do anything back. Just show the love of Christ by mm -hmm. letting them know. Well, I'm not this kind of person or whatever. Because the world, he told us to be a light unto the world. That they can see, you know, Jesus in our lives. That's good. That's good. It's simple, but it's not easy. I can, my personal experience is life comes at us so fast. It's really hard to slow down and, and walk slowly through the crowd. It's really hard to engage people when you're on a mission and they don't serve your purpose. Back to Romans 12 and mm -hmm. 1. It said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, <coughs> that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, uh, wholly acceptable unto God, which is just your reasonable service. So any man come after Christ, he must first deny himself. And a lot of times, um, I'm not going to put myself <coughs> out to try to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things of Christ. He said, you got to deny yourself to help mm -hmm. others. So that's what it's all about, giving. Mm -hmm. And Christ gave his life for us. And we should be given because that's what we should do. Give your service. There, there's nursing homes. There are places that you can go and share with people. The prisons are full. You should reach out. I heard you say earlier about I think about Jesus said, lunch out into the deep. We're still around the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get away from being, uh, you know, comfortable. So we kind of stay in our own little neck of the woods, so to mm -hmm. speak. I call it a holy huddle. Out. Yeah. Instead of reaching out to others, go that extra mile. You know, do something that, you know, uh, so that's just what we should do as Christians, just deny ourselves mm -hmm. and put somebody ahead of us. Sometimes uh, let somebody else go first. Don't be the first one to jump in the line or whatever. Yep. Those are good conversation starters, too. Like when you, when you act in a way people don't expect, it opens a door for a conversation to happen. It may be 10 seconds, but you don't know what kind of seed you plant when you do that. You may never see the work of it or the result of it, but that seed may get watered and fertilized over the course of the years, but you just never know. And touching on what you said, I think a good way to try and cultivate this kind of mindset is just to approach uh, each day, throughout the day, just remember how grateful you are. Have a, a heart of gratitude, because a thankful heart loves much. Um, 
it changes who we are, how we see, and how we love. Um, you know, if, if I just go through the day and it's all about me, and that's when I'm at my worst. You know, typically, like, you know, you see, we have, we have little kids. It's usually stressful getting people ready and getting to the car. Those are the moments when I'm at my worst because I'm not thankful for the blessings that those children bring to my life at that point in time. All I am is I'm frustrated that I'm not getting what I want, and it's evident. You know, I tend to be short with them, raise my voice. You know, you threaten to take away certain forms of entertainment. But trust me, I've not one time I'm, have I ever been in that situation and be like, oh, you know, I'm so thankful for you guys. You guys are so great. But it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. You know, and, and another thing you said is be welcoming. Be willing to make eye contact with people as you walk down the halls or in the store. Uh, I have many stories. I'm, I'm really introverted, and I do not like talking to strangers. And my oldest son, he is the biggest extrovert in the world. He has never met someone he didn't want to tell his life story to. <laughs> so we'll be playing in the front yard, and people will be going on a walk. And I'm like, hey. I want to talk to him. Go, don't go talk to him. He's like, hey, guys. And then come, you know, then we get pulled into this conversation. Or the grocery store. I mean, I'm very task-driven. And, you know, God put him in my life to teach me many lessons. But I've had so many more conversations with people that I didn't want to talk to at the grocery store when he's with me than any other time in my life. But I will say that there is something. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, you know. We're talking about how we're coming across to people. Mm -hmm. And say you take just anybody, like say a jury or just 12 people that you might not even realize that you affect, how are you coming across to them? How would, how would these 12 get together and deem you? You, know, if you don't, might not see that person on the other side of the fence when you're not acting right behind your privacy fence or in mm -hmm. behind closed doors or in traffic or, you know, how would you be deemed? Yeah, that's it's tough to think about because I know for me, I would I would really hope that there's at least one really really gracious person on that jury, um, because if it's black and white, I mean, I'm guilty, you know. Um, I think it's about time to wrap up. I'm going to leave you with one last quote, and I love Eugene Peterson. Um, you guys are probably familiar with him. He written many pastoral books. Uh, he wrote the message uh, ver translation of the Bible. And in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, uh, he writes this, hospitality always feels small when you hold it in your hands. It's not until you let it go that you see how extravagant and hallowed it is. Sometimes you don't feel anything, which in our quick fix, instant gratification society feels like failure. Building community and investing in the lives right in front of us requires us to take the long view, a long obedience in the same direction. I think that just ties everything in so beautifully. Um, because like I said, we don't know the effects that our kindness and our willingness to listen have on someone five hours from now or five years from now. But like Mother Teresa said, we're called to be faithful. So it's just... My challenge for you, it's a challenge I give myself every day, is try to find people throughout your day that you can engage that maybe you normally wouldn't. Uh, try to establish those relationships. 
Um, Pastor Andy Roshkob here, he's over small groups. And if any of you have ever been to any of his small group training, his big thing is he wants everyone in small groups to have a top two. And what that means is every person has two people in their life that are non-believers, or they may be believers that need to take their faith a little more seriously or, or dig a little deeper, that they constantly pray for. And so I'm asking you guys to find a top two. It could be someone as simple as the person who does your hair. Or if you frequent a lunch spot, maybe you see the same waitress or waiter, person behind the register, just people like that. Just think about that. You interact with these people on such a quick basis, we dismiss it. But just find two people that you can be praying for and try to go out of your way to maybe engage and get to know a little bit and just see what happens. All right, does anyone have any other questions or comments or anything? All right, let me pray for us real quick and we'll be dismissed. Uh, dear Father, thanks again for this morning and for this group of people here in class and online. Uh, and again, I thank you for the technology that allows us to reach the people that, that are still at home and, and what a blessing that has been. I know we, we talked about how technology can create hurdles for how we relate to one another, but there is also good in everything you create. Um, we thank you, Lord. And as we go through this, this weekend, again, I just ask that we remember those that, have, those that have served our country faithfully, that we remember those who have fallen and their family and loved ones. Be with us as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.